Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. Opinion by Feynman, J. Under our long-standing precedents, a person is guilty of an attempt to commit a crime if the person's conduct comes dangerously close to committing the intended crime, People v. Mahubian, 1989, People v. Moran, 1890. The people's evidence in this case was insufficient to support defendants' convictions for attempted murder in the first and second degrees because it failed to prove that defendant and his feigned confederate took any actual step toward accomplishing defendant's plan to kill his wife and mother-in-law beyond mere conversations and planning. Accordingly, we affirm. Viewed in the light most favorable to the people, the relevant events in this case unfolded over several days in May 2016 at the Niagara County Jail, where a defendant was being held after his arrest at a mobile home in late April for alleged acts of domestic violence against his wife. On May 16, the inmate in the adjoining cell, here and after MS, used the communal phone in the cell block to call his girlfriend. The couple discussed obtaining bail for MS and mentioned the impending eviction from their apartment. Once MS had returned to his cell, Defendant knocked on the wall and passed a note through the cell bars. The note proposed a deal. Defendant would give MS a house if MS did two things for him, kill his wife and mother-in-law using shop heroin and new drugs, and make arrangements for the care of his two children. Defendant asked that MS complete his end of the bargain as soon as he was released from jail, and defendant sent a note stating an address and the names of the two targets along with instructions on the time the murder should take place. Although MS had no intention of following through on defendant's requests, he played along. He wrote defendant that he expected to be released in two days, on May 18th, and could do it on either May 19th or May 20th. Defendant asked that the job be done cleanly with drugs and with no violence, and requested that MS use gloves. In a detailed plan to follow, defendant gave instructions on how to carry out the murders. MS was to display drugs on a table to stage a fake overdose, get the victim's fingerprints on everything that MS used to kill them pick up keys to the house and cars, and take defendant's two young children with him once he was done. After this initial back and forth with defendant, MS informed a correction officer that he had very serious information to share and turned over the notes to the jail authorities. They told him to continue communicating with defendant and act as though the plan would proceed as discussed. The next morning, on May 17, defendant provided MS with a hand-drawn map showing the location of a third party's house, where, According to defendant's instructions, MS was to take the children after killing defendant's wife and mother-in-law. Defendant also gave MS a letter for the third party. Lastly, defendant instructed MS on where to park when he arrived at the target's identified address and gave a vague description of the location of a hidden set of keys, on the left up to your head for MS to use after making sure that the two targets were inside. MS turned these notes over to the authorities and was removed from his cell block until his release from jail the next day. After being released on bail, MS learned from his girlfriend that defendant had called, using a number provided by MS, and asked that MS visit him in jail. In coordination with the authorities, MS recorded his conversation during his visit with defendant on May 19. Defendant discussed the game plan for the murders and presented MS with a paper he asked him to read, which MS understood to be a blueprint for a suicide letter to make it look like defendant's wife committed suicide. According to defendant's plan, MS would kill the wife and mother-in-law that evening and call defendant the next day using pre-arranged code words to confirm that the murders had been carried out. MS received a call from defendant the following day, on May 20. Speaking in code, 
MS told defendant that the cars, defendant's wife and mother-in-law, had been fixed, killed, and that the tires, defendant's children, were with him. Defendant said he was happy now. Defendant called MS on May 24 to again confirm that MS had fixed the cars and taken care of the tires. After MS expressed concern about when defendant would give him the house, defendant said he had another place where MS could stay for free. At the close of the people's case, defendant moved to dismiss all counts, arguing that, with respect to the attempted murder counts, there was no evidence of conduct beyond exchange of letters and some conversation that is, nothing beyond mere preparation and planning and no proof of conduct carrying the project forward with dangerous proximity, to the criminal end to be attained that would satisfy the requisite dangerously close standard for an attempt. The trial court denied the motion, finding that the case just barely survives. In defining attempt, the court charged the jury that conduct which tends to affect the commission of a crime means conduct which comes dangerously close or very near to the completion of the intended crime and that a person is guilty of an attempt to commit a particular crime if the person intends to commit a crime and engages in conduct which carries his or her purpose forward within dangerous proximity to the completion of the intended crime. The jury convicted defendant of two counts of attempted murder in the first degree, two counts of attempted murder in the second degree, and one count of criminal solicitation in the second degree. Defendant moved to set aside the verdict with respect to the attempted murder convictions on the ground that the evidence showed no affirmative action beyond the planning but the trial court denied the motion. On defendant's appeal, the appellate division vacated the convictions for attempted murder, holding that the evidence at trial was legally insufficient to establish that defendant engaged in conduct that came dangerously near commission of the completed crime, quoting People v. Narajay. Noting that several contingencies stood between the agreement in the jail and the contemplated crimes, the court determined that the evidence establishes only that defendant planned the crimes, discussed them with the inmate in the next cell and with that inmate's girlfriend and exchanged notes about them, quoting People v. Acosta. A judge of this court granted leave to appeal. When assessing the legal sufficiency of a jury verdict, we view the facts in the light most favorable to the people and examine whether there is a valid line of reasoning and permissible inferences from which a rational jury could have found the elements of the crime proved beyond a reasonable doubt, People v. Danielson. The crimes at issue in this appeal are attempted murder in the first degree and attempted murder in the second degree. As relevant here. The crime of first-degree murder requires the people to prove that a defendant caused another person's death with the intent to do so and procured commission of the killing pursuant to an agreement with a person other than the intended victim to commit the same for the receipt, or in expectation of the receipt, of anything of pecuniary value from a party to the agreement, Penal Law Section 125.27, 1a, phi. For second-degree murder, the people must prove that a defendant caused e, the death of another with the intent to do so. Penal Law Section 125.25, 1. The inchoate versions of these offenses, as charged here, layer on the definition of criminal attempt set forth in Penal Law Section 110.00, which provides that a person is guilty of an attempt to commit a crime when, with intent to commit a crime, the person, engages in conduct which tends to affect the commission of such crime. The mens rea element is not at issue in this case. The people's evidence overwhelmingly supports a rational jury's conclusion that defendant specifically intended to kill his wife and mother-in-law, entered into an agreement to procure the services of MS to carry out his plan, and was happy when he was told that the murders had been carried out. Instead, the case turns on whether, as a matter of law, the people adduced sufficient evidence of conduct to satisfy the actus reus requirement for attempted murder. It is well established that the law does not punish evil thoughts nor does it generally consider mere preparation sufficiently dangerous to require legal intervention by imposing attempt liability, People v. Bracey. 
rejecting the more lenient substantial step test and adhering to the close proximity test, Mahbubian, our court has repeatedly reaffirmed that, to constitute an attempt, the defendant's conduct must have passed the stage of mere intent or mere preparation to commit a crime, Naraje, see also People v. Rizzo. Although the act need not be the final one towards the completion of the offense, Bracey, quoting People v. Sullivan, it must be so near to its accomplishment that in all reasonable probability the crime itself would have been committed, but for timely interference, Rizzo, the actor acts must come or advance very near to the accomplishment of the intended crime. Stated differently, the acts must come dangerously near commission of the completed crime, Naraje, see People v. Werblow acts in furtherance of a criminal project do not reach the stage of an attempt, unless they carry the project forward within dangerous proximity to the criminal end to be attained. As we have previously explained, the boundary where preparation ripens into punishable conduct depends greatly on the facts of the particular case and differs with different crimes, Mahubian. Although the necessity of further steps for completion of the crime and the possibility of abandonment or renunciation are factors to be considered in evaluating whether conduct has come dangerously close to success, those factors are not dispositive, id. The inquiry focuses on the steps defendant took to accomplish the crime, rather than on the actions or disposition of the particular, victim, people v. Denson. Here, the only conduct to be considered is defendant's own acts because his purported accomplice, who was working with the authorities, did not take any steps toward furthering the planned murders other than listening to defendant's scheme. MS did not, for example, acquire the instrumentality for the crimes, such as drugs or poison verify the existence of the keys and obtain them from the stated location, or stake out the address supplied by defendant to make sure that the wife and mother-in-law were present at the location specified. Nevertheless, the people, mostly by parsing defendant's communications with MS, argue that defendant engaged in sufficient conduct by 1. Promising to provide a house to MS 2. Giving MS the purported address of the targets 3. Instructing MS when to carry out the murders 4 providing MS with a hand-drawn map of the location of the third party's house, where MS was to drop off the children after the murders. 5. Handing MS a detailed plan of how to carry out the murders. 6. Telling MS the location of the keys to the house. 7. Calling MS's girlfriend to arrange for MS to visit the jail. 8. Writing a fake suicide note. 9. Showing MS the suicide note. And, 10. Creating a pre-arranged code to discuss the post-mortem over the recorded jail phone. Not only are these acts preparatory in a dictionary sense, Mahubian, they are also limited to the planning stages of committing the offense, they specify the who, what, where, when, and how of defendant's murder plans. Notably absent are any acts that can be deemed to bring the crimes dangerously close to completion. Indeed, numerous contingencies necessary for the crimes commission remain unfulfilled. Although the attempt standard is fact-specific, what is missing here is any act that, when viewed in the light most favorable to the people, could satisfy the dangerous proximity test. Defendant's initial promise to give MS a house was just that, a simple promise. It did not advance the scheme's chance of success. Defendant neither made a cash payment nor provided MS with any means to purchase drugs for the murders. Defendant did not provide a murder weapon, cf. Naraje, finding that defendant's conduct came dangerously near to murder where he filled his pocket with 25 sabo slugs, loaded a shotgun capable of hitting a target accurately at a distance of 100 yards with four of these slugs, including one in the chamber, and stood mere steps away from the property of his intended victims. And although defendant provided an address, nothing in the trial record establishes that the wife and mother-in-law, in fact, lived or could be found there. Nor does the proof establish that defendant provided any other information that MS could have used to track down the intended victims. 
the other acts listed by the people, such as producing a hand-drawn map, a detailed plan, and a fake suicide note, consisted of instructions on how to carry out and cover up the murders. They were not actual steps that brought defendant or MS dangerously near or in close proximity to committing the murders, cf. People v. Trepanier, finding attempt where the defendant made an advance payment to a pseudo-arsonist, removed boards covering a window, and left the window open to allow the arsonist into the building. Despite the absence of actual steps beyond mere planning, the people point out that defendant believed MS could and would execute the plan. They cite Penal Law Section 110.10 and reason that, as long as defendant believed that MS somehow had the ability to procure and use the drugs to fake the suicide of the wife and murder the mother-in-law and that the targets would be present at the stated address, it is no defense that commission of the completed crimes was not possible as the attendant circumstances were not as defendant believed them to be. But Penal Law Section 110.10 does not dispense with the requirement that, to be found guilty of attempt, a defendant must engage e, in conduct which tends to affect the commission of, the, crime. Penal Law Section 110.00. The people still had to prove that the conduct in which, defendant or his agent, engaged d, otherwise constitutes an attempt to commit murder, Penal Law Section 110.10 In other words, that defendant or his agent engaged in conduct that came dangerously near or in close proximity to committing the murders, see Mahubian. The people failed to do so here. By equating defendant's agreement and planning with MS with the acts necessary to support the attempted murder convictions, the dissent effectively dilutes the level and nature of the proof required for an attempt to commit a crime. In a conspiracy prosecution, the people must prove the commission of an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy, Penal Law Section 105.20, which provides corroboration of the existence of the agreement and shows that the agreement has reached a point where it poses a sufficient threat to society to impose sanctions, People v. McGee. However, the acts required to establish attempt culpability are qualitatively different from the overt acts needed for a conspiracy to commit a murder, they are acts that tend to affect the substantive crime and demonstrate the nearness or immediacy of defendant's commission of the crime, see for example Naraje, defendant guilty of attempted murder where he was found by police outside intended victim's home with a shotgun, ammunition, and to-do list outlining the murder plot in his pocket, people v. Lugash. Defendant guilty of attempted murder where he shot victim whom he believed to be alive at the time. Indeed, cases in which we ultimately concluded that the defendant's acts fell short of the dangerously near standard for an attempt conviction demonstrate how close to the commission of the substantive crime our precedents require the defendant's conduct to progress to constitute an attempt. See for example People v. Mike, defendant offered to sell drugs to undercover officers, entered officer's vehicle, and led them to a building. But officers' refusal to give defendant money or accompany him into building was insufficient to sustain attempted sale conviction, even though defendant later gave a statement indicating he intended to sell them cocaine. Rizzo, conviction for attempted robbery reversed where defendant and his confederates drove in their car looking for their robbery target, a payroll man, but could not find him. Here, in stark contrast, despite a specific intent to kill, an agreement with a confederate to commit the crimes, and acts corroborating that agreement, there was no evidence of any acts that carried the murder plot forward within dangerous proximity to the criminal end to be attained, People v. Warren. While defendant's creation of a master plan and solicitation of a person who was not going to do anything to carry out that plan was sufficient to establish his criminal culpability for other anticipatory crimes, his inability to perform the requisite acts himself cannot substitute for evidence that the intended crimes were dangerously close to completion. In sum, the evidence was legally insufficient to support defendant's convictions for attempted murder. Accordingly, the appellate division order, insofar as appealed from, 
should be affirmed, decided November 24, 2020. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.